Hey everyone, welcome to Hub City Church. We are ordinary people following an extraordinary God together. If you want more information about Hub City Church, find us online at thehubcitychurch.com connect and fill out our digital connect card. Now let's dive into this week's message. They, the astrologers and the wise men of Babylon, said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue when they hear the sound of horn, flute, zither, lyre, harps, pipes, and other musical instruments. That decree also states that those who refuse to obey must be thrown into the blazing furnace. But there are some Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you put in charge of the province of Babylon. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They refuse to serve your gods, and they do not worship the golden statue that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage and ordered that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought before him. When they're brought in, Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods or worship the gold statue I have set up? I will give you one more chance to bow down and worship the statue. The statue I have made when you hear the sound of the musical instruments. But if you refuse, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the golden statue you have set up. Nebuchadnezzar was so furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that his face became distorted with rage. He commanded that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So they tied them up and threw them into the furnace, fully dressed in their pants, turbans, robes, and other garments. And because the king, in his anger, had demanded such a hot fire in the furnace, the flames killed the soldiers that threw the three men in. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, securely tied, fell into the roaring flames. Suddenly, Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in amazement and exclaimed to his advisors, didn't we tie up three men and throw them in the furnace? Yes, your majesty, we certainly did, they replied. Look, Nebuchadnezzar shouted, I see four men unbound and walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Then Nebuchadnezzar came as close as he could to the door of the flaming furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come out here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stepped out of the fire. Then the high officials, the high officers, the officials, governors, and advisors crowded around them and saw that the fire had not touched them. Not a hair on their head was singed. Their clothes were not scorched. They didn't even smell of smoke. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command and were willing to die rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
They will be torn limb from limb, and their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble. There is no other God who can rescue like this. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, it is a story. It is a true story, and it's a story that we sometimes hear so often we forget uh, some of those great moments, like at the end, where imagine that. Come to church, or we will tear you limb from limb. I think we'd get more attendance on a regular basis. Um, just, it was a joke, okay, everybody? <laughs> just relax. Next week at Hope City Church. Uh, anyway, so we are looking at the book of Daniel for six weeks, looking at moments of courageous faith, seeing what infuses this courage. Where do they get this strength, this gumption to follow through and believe and hold strong and stand firm. And we're looking at all of these moments with Daniel and in this case, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, this classic trio that we're looking at. And so I thought this morning to get us started on classic groupings, classic trios, I would quiz you on your famous trios, but I want two people who would be so bold to come up and be quizzed. And we're gonna play a little game because notice I got the bell, right? We're ready to play a little game. Uh, so I need two people who want to try to name the most classic of trios in the past. Come on now. Come on. I need two participants. You win a prize. You win a prize. Come on. Oh, David. Yes. There we go. Oh. Oh, David and Bobby. All right. Here we go. Here we go. I missed the message on the flannels today. Wait, are we going like this? <laughs> If I had worn flannel, we would be a classic trio, but yes, all right. Buzzer in the middle, hands behind your back. Get a little closer, come on now. All right, don't give them an advantage. Yes, all right, you ready to? You ready? All right, I got a microphone so that those watching at home can also play along and hear your wonderful answers. All right, so I'm gonna name the trio. You tell me who they are, right? So I'm gonna give you their names, their first names. You tell me the grouping, ready, you buzz? Your first one is Alvin, Simon, and Theodore. The Chipmunks. That is the Chipmunks. Well done. <laughs> one point for David. Well done. Good job. All right, ready? Larry, Curly, and Mo. <laughs> he just grabs the bell. <laughs> I think those are the three Stooges. Those are the three Stooges. Let's hear it. Come on now, everybody. <laughs> Clap for these brave souls that came up here to win. All right, ready? Okay, Bobby. Pressure, this is of a musical influence here. Nick, Joe, and Kevin. Nick, Joe, and Kevin. David's giving. Jonas Brothers. Say it for us. Jonas Brothers. The Jonas Brothers. Wow. Wow, almost. I don't listen to those guys, so I forget. You don't listen to them? Wait till Olivia's a little bit older. All right, here we go. All right, here's a tough one. And forgive my pronunciation. Athos, Porthos, and Aramis. Athos, Porthos, Aramis. The Titans? The Three Titans? I don't know. Known in literature? Nope. It's, it is from a book and movies, and a candy bar. The, yes, the classic Mars. The Mars Bars, boys. 
The Three Musketeers. The Three Musketeers. Come on now. All right. Ready? Here's an easy one, okay? If this bell doesn't ring very quickly, you guys can't leave church for a week. Ready? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. <laughs> you got to be quick. The Holy Trinity. The Holy Trinity. Look at that. Very good. Very good. Let's give it up for David and Bobby. We've got a whole bag full of fun things, including a four-square tote bag of, of Jesus as our Savior, Healer, Baptizer, and soon-coming King. Oh, you get a Hub City coffee. He feels bad for you, Bobby. He feels bad for you. Well done. Well done. We like to have fun here at Hub City. We like to play games sometimes when fitting and have a good time. And uh, we're talking about this classic trio today of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this idea of these, this trio. We're going to learn from them how they lived out their faith together. They had relationship with each other. Think about it. If you've been in church, or as Josh said, you've heard this story in Sunday school on a flannel graph, did you ever hear a message on Shadrach? Have you ever heard a sermon just on Meshach or Abednego by themselves? No, it's always Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Even looking at that text, 10 times it mentions them together. It's not like Shadrach was this pillar of faith faith and he was just pulling along Meshach and Abednego. No, they are a trio of faith together. And so today we're talking about this idea of finding strength in our faith together with the people that God has put in our lives, the companions, having courageous companions in our lives. Friends, family members, a spouse, somebody in our lives, a parent, pastors, people that God has put in our lives and how we can develop a courage to do the next right thing because we are not alone. That's what we're talking about today. And as you look at this classic story, the first question I want you to think about, just to contextualize this story for your own, uh, your own journey, your own story, is to think about what is your statue? What is the thing that you feel pressured to bend the knee to, right? To compromise, to conform to. As we look at these three, they are uh, being pressured to bow to this 90-foot statue that Nebuchadnezzar has put up. And we see it in chapter 3, verses 10 through 14. It says, you issued a decree requiring all the people to bow down and worship the gold statue. They refuse to serve your gods and do not worship the gold statue you have set up. This is the officials talking to Nebuchadnezzar, right? Then Nebuchadnezzar flew into a rage because he's a rational boss and king. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, it was sarcasm right there. Okay, just checking. Nebuchadnezzar said to them, it is true, is it true, excuse me, is it true that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you refuse to serve my gods and worship the gold statue I've set up? These guys are being forced into this peer pressure moment to bend the knee, to worship whenever the music plays, right? And it, it just speaks to this need as humans. Sometimes we are Nebuchadnezzar. We need to be validated, loved, affirmed, worshiped ourselves, right? But he is imposing this pressure on them. And you think about the pressure that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are feeling. It, it, as I read this, it reminds me back to some of the most pressure-filled moments as an individual are when we are teenagers, right? When we're in high school or middle school. Think of all the peer pressure you felt way back when, however long or short ago that that was, those are some of the most pressure-filled moments, 
right? Pressure to do what? Fit in. To sit at the right table at lunch. To be in the right group. To go to prom or homecoming in the correct group or with the right people or all of these things. And, and you feel this pressure. What were some of the things that we would feel pressure to do when we were in middle school or high school? What was some of the peer pressure we were compromising or conforming to? Just shout it out. The right clothes, you gotta wear the right brands, you gotta wear the right shoes, right? I remember getting into an argument in a big five with my mom because she wanted to buy me one pair of shoes and I said, no, it needs a swoosh on it in order for me to have those in, in my school, right? The swoosh, the Nike swoosh. And we got into this big, long argument uh, in a big five. What else? Where, where else do we feel peer pressure when we were in middle school or high school? To agree? To be in, in, in seeing things the same way? Okay, all right, what else? To, right? It was cool to swear in, in school, right? To use profanity, to smoke something, to drink something, to date someone, to mess around with that someone, you might have felt pressure to do that. To watch a certain movie. How many of you felt like an outsider when your friends would talk about a movie and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. Or they would talk about a band like the Jonas Brothers and you're just like, who are Nick, Kevin, and Joe? Who are these people? What are you talking about? And you feel this pressure to be on social media or to have a phone, that's the pressure some of our, our kids feel in these day and age. If you don't have a phone, you're not in. If you don't have this, you're not in. If you don't talk this way, act this way, and we feel that pressure as teenagers and, and, and adolescents, but it carries into our adult years. It's just, a, maybe it's a little bit different. What's the statue that we feel pressure to bow to? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are feeling like outsiders in their current world. They're feeling a social pressure to assimilate to the culture that they've been dropped into. They've been taken captive from their homeland, brought into this distant land of Babylon, and told, you need to worship this God. So not only is there this social pressure, there's this spiritual pressure. Like, I don't think I'm supposed to bow to this God. I don't feel like this is the right thing to do, but I'm being told that I have. Work pressure, right? Their boss is telling them what to do. There's political pressure because their boss is their king as well. And then you've got peer pressure because these other advisors are putting this pressure on them as well. Where do you feel pressure? What is your statue? Because I don't see a lot of gold statues in Burlington that we're called and we're told to bow to. But metaphorically speaking, what is the statues that you feel pressure to worship? or to compromise, to blend in, to align with, to even deny your commitment to Jesus in some way. Maybe that statue is not a physical object. Maybe it's more of a, uh, a socio-political idea or stance or issue. I feel pressure to speak up on this or to stand for this. If I don't have this certain stance, well then I guess my faith is a hypocritical faith because I'm being told that I need to say this or believe this or stand for this. Maybe it's a political party or an individual or a candidate of some sort. We're getting into that fun season, right, where all of the, those things are coming back up. And we might feel the pressure. If you don't vote this way, well, then you're not a part of what we believe. If you don't vote for this candidate, you don't feel this way. If you vote this, if you vote Republican, then you are blank. If you vote Democrat, you are this. If you vote independent, then you're just this. 
And so we feel this pressure to conform and to compromise and to blend, to align. Maybe it's more of a spiritual thing where we're feeling this pressure that if I don't accept everybody's spiritual views in a way where I begin to integrate and adopt them into my own life, well, then I'm exclusive and I'm, you know, I'm bigoted or I'm judgmental or I'm this and I'm that. And so I better start taking these things and praying in their way too and reading what they read and integrating what they do. And you're feeling this tension because you're starting to feel this spiritual universalism that's forming within you. Like, I guess all roads lead to heaven and Jesus. But we feel this pressure that, well, if you don't support this, if you don't agree with this, if you don't accept this, then you are blank. Some of us might just feel the pressure to abandon our faith. From a friend or a spouse or a family member or somebody close to us where they would look at you and say, you go to church, you believe that, you follow this, you hold these convictions, and we get this social and relational and all kinds of pushback that we get, the opinions of people saying, you need to deny that because what you believe is old-fashioned, it's archaic, it's antiquated. And so we're being challenged to bow, to bend, to give in. And I think it's valuable for us to acknowledge those areas of pressure that you and I might feel. And for one person, it might be different than another person, okay? We may not feel the same pressures in the same ways. And you'll notice in the examples that I gave, I wasn't telling you that there's one right one and there's one wrong one because we feel those pressures from all the different angles, don't we? And today is not about telling you how to vote or how to stand up for something or how, no. What we're talking about is where we feel this tension this uneasiness, and I think it's okay to stop and begin to articulate, to put into words, this is what I'm sensing, this is what I'm feeling. If you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're sitting around talking like, yeah, are you feeling pressured about this giant 90-foot statue? Yeah, me too. I don't think we should do that. And begin talking about those things, and that pressure is accompanied with sometimes some sort of consequence, or, uh, you know, in a... They're threatened to conform in some manner, and in their case, they're going to be thrown into a fiery furnace, which amps up the anxiety and the pressure and the stress level, right? If I said, if you didn't do this, you would be thrown into a fiery kiln and killed, you makes me a little more anxious. Well, what's your furnace? What's the consequence that you would face if you resisted conforming in those ways? Because for these guys, it's to be thrown into a furnace. It says, if you, if you refuse, you will be thrown immurder, Im, immediately into this blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my power? He commanded them that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual. Then he ordered some of the strongest men to, in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. These furnaces were used for constructing bricks or pottery or metal. and You're talking temperatures of 1,000 to 2,000 degrees in some case. This is not like your pizza oven that's 400 and you're still like, ha, hot, right? I mean, you're talking, amplify that even more. The guys got close to it and they died. That's a threat. That's a consequence. And obviously, again, just like there's not a lot of golden statues in Burlington, there's not a lot of furnaces we're being threatened to be thrown into. 
So metaphorically speaking, what is the suffering, the demise, the consequence that you and I might face if we resisted conforming? In some scenarios, there would be loss of life and uh, loss of job or loss of security and comfort and those sorts of punishments in different parts of the world. That might be a reality. But for most of us here in Skagit County, that's not the pushback that we're going to experience. For most of us, right? What are we going to experience? Social. Social rejection, marginalization, being outcast and lonely. Being misunderstood, being misrepresented, being lied about, being talked about, being gossiped about, being stereotyped. Being ostracized in some manner that you feel like you have to defend yourself, but you're like, I don't know how to do it. And, and you get cut off from those types of relationships. From people that you've invested life with and shared meals with and watched Seahawk games with and had barbecues with and went camping with or vacationed with and you get cut off because you wouldn't conform to the same things that they did. And again, just like it's important for us to understand the statues that we would face, I think it's understanding the furnaces that we would have to deal with. Maybe it's okay to think about, ponder those things, put into words what the cost would be for you and I to be obedient and faithful to what Jesus called us to do. Because sometimes doing the next right thing is difficult and tough because we understand those consequences could be possible. But I want us to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want us to see the courage that they have to stand united. The strength doesn't come from this arrogance or this rudeness or this uh, social media fervor that's all whipped up. Oh, we're going to be bold for God, the creator, right? No, it is just three guys standing firm together. There is a strength and a courage and a boldness. And as we talk in these weeks to come, we're going to see a humility we're going to see a trust and a faith and a response that comes out of that courage. But one aspect to the courage that we see in the book of Daniel is the courageous companions. Just in these next few verses that I'm going to read, look at how many times it says we or us or they. See the unity in these next few verses, okay? And to make it easier, I bolded. Bolded? I made it bold. The word we. So it'll stand out even easier. Look at this. Verse 16 through 19. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, I'm helping you with the emphasis on the syllables here. Thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if we don't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I count seven. Seven times in a couple of statements. We, us. You see, if this goes bad, it's not me, it's we. When we face difficulty and pushback and uh, a pressure to conform, it's not me. It's we. We're in this together. This is why you, you see the validity and the importance of people needing support when they're going through, like, recovery groups. What do they do? They join 
support groups with other people. I've known people that have gone through AA, and there is a strength in the group setting, not just doing it alone. They're not just on a road to sobriety by themselves. What are they doing? They're surrounding themselves with people to say, we are on this journey together. You think about life groups. We're emphasizing life groups in our church in this next season and the importance of sharing life together. And there is a a validity to that idea because we aren't meant to live life alone. You sign up for a group, launch a group, start a group, whatever it would be, host a group, co-lead a group. We had a group for a season in our church, and it was for a lot of the single moms in our church. And I hear stories about this group, and it was a time for relationship to be built, stories to be shared, and child care to be done, (laughs) and meals, and things like that. But it was was, uh, so, so valuable because these women felt seen and heard and loved. And they built a network with each other. Relationships being formed together. We aren't meant to be doing this alone. We need people in our corner. If you are Shadrach, you need a Meshach and Abednego with you. Me, that's where we find courage when we face this pressure from our family, from our world, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever you're feeling pressure. We need people around us. Who's with you? I asked you about your statue and your furnace, but more importantly, who is with you? Who's in your corner? Who's your Meshach? Who's your Bendigo? And I don't just mean, this is my buddy. This is my pal. This is who I watch the Seahawks game with. I mean, who's your emotional support? Who's empathizing with you? Who can you be emotionally vulnerable with? And share truly how you feel. I'm frustrated. I'm disgusted. I am maxed out. I am this. I am that. Who do you feel that you don't have to compromise how you feel? You can be truly vulnerable and honest and you won't be rejected because you were too real. They are there to emotionally encourage you and support you. There's an aspect to this where they are they are there with you and, and they are comforting you. They're giving you hope. They're not going to bail on you because you got too touchy-feely. But they strengthen you when you're exhausted and you're ready to quit. When you're ready to conform and give in. They listen to you. They give you hope. There's an aspect of this support that is, is very much dealing with our emotions in an emotionally healthy manner. But there's also the spiritual support. Because it's important to have people that see it the same way that you do, not on everything, but that they share the same convictions, share the the same beliefs and values, that you aren't alone in feeling like, yeah, I'm up against this. And they're like, yeah, I care about you, man, but I don't see it the same way in terms of your faith. Who's praying for you? Who's reading scripture to you? Who's sending you that text with that verse that encourages you because they read it in their quiet time and said, said, Man, I'm thinking about you, and this verse just made it encourage you today. Who's not just praying for you, but who prays with you? Is there a distinction? Yes. I could pray with somebody, and I could pray for somebody. I pray for you, you're not around. Hey, I'm praying for you, man. Hey, I'm praying for you. Care about you. Great. Did that happen? I don't know. 
But to stop and say, I hear where you're going, what you're going through. I hear life is really hard. You're feeling up against it. Can we just stop and, and I pray for you? But can I pray with you? Can I put my hand on your shoulder and stand beside you? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't just go through this and be like, yeah, we have a shared affinity for running. We just hang out and knit. We just hang out and watch the same shows and talk about what's on our Netflix queue. And these guys were emotionally supporting each other and spiritually supporting each other. And then when it came to it, they physically supported each other by obeying together. Again, it wasn't like Shadrach's like, I'm not bowing, guys. And these guys are like, oh, we're not? We're not going to go? We're, right? You don't read that in the story where Abednego's like getting off the ground like, oh, I thought we were going to kneel. I thought we were, we were bailing on this thing and we were just going to protect that. No? Yes? Yes? No? No. You see three pillars together strong. We are not going here. We are obeying together. There's a strength in that, that you are doing this as a unit, supporting each other in, I know, this is hard, isn't it? Yeah, we're going to stand arm in arm together in this. We're not going to give in on this. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to pray with one another. And I know it's hard for you to abstain from this, but I'm going to abstain from it too. I'm not giving in. I was thinking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and it reminded me of last summer going on, doing the Seattle to Portland bike ride, and my ups and downs <clears throat> of this 200-mile bike ride that I did. And I, I've talked about some of these journeys before, and I like cycling because running is from the devil. <laughs> running is horrible. Yes, hallelujah. But bike riding, I love bike riding. And last summer I did this ride, and I, I invited a couple of friends of mine from the church to, to do this ride with me. And we, we had this whole idea, like, we're going to be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't say this. I didn't say this. But I'm kind of infusing the story into my story, right? Like, we're going to do this together. We had a shared conviction, like, yeah, 200 miles. Yeah, we're going to do it. 150 in one day, 50 the second day. Okay. 150, 150, Seattle to Longview. Okay. We're going to do it together, and we're going to hit these pit stops. We're going to eat granola bars and drink Gatorade, and we're going to have fun. We're going to laugh. We're going to take pictures. We're going to commiserate together. We're going to encourage each other. We're going to have this moment, and then we get to the first pit stop, and we get separated, and for 130 miles, we were never together again. Some of us rode in moments and spurts. One was really fast. One, got more sleep than I did. I got two hours of sleep. I was a little sleepy. And here I am making this trudge at about mile 100, mile 110, mile 120, and I am crying, literally crying on my bike. God, why did I do this? This is stupid. I don't like it. I wish I was exaggerating. This is me. Riding up a hill, crying, and with my AirPod, texting my wife, April, who is in her car, driving the 150 miles, blazing past me. Because you're out of breath, because you're biking. It was horrible. Because I had this vision of we were going to do this together, and to nobody's fault. We got separated. I don't blame them. 
for getting separated. But it's just the way it worked out. And it was the hardest ride of my life. And I don't, I'm not exaggerating. Physical pain, emotional pain, mental drain. I was alone and it was hard. It was the hardest ride I've ever had to do. We meet in Longview, we crash for the night, we eat taco time for dinner. Next morning we get up and the three of us ride that final 50 together. Some faster, some slower, but we stayed together, we hit all the pit stops together, we ate the granola bars together, we drank the, the Gatorade together, we had the, you know, all the stuff. And we were laughing and we were riding, but we were together. And it was a completely different ride. And when one of us got slowed down because of pain or discomfort of any kind, we all slowed down and we rode together. Because there was this support and it was so much more than just the physical. The physical was part of it, right? Just as in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, physically obeying God, you need that aspect. But there was the emotional support and the mental support and the, I don't know that we really spiritually supported each other on a bike ride, but you were in unison in convictions and values. And we are doing this together, guys. We are not getting separated. It was night and day. It was two different experiences. And you might say, well, it was 50 miles compared to 150. I, I firmly believe if we had stayed together, that 150 would have been a completely different experience. And some of us are about to hit a season in life where your journey is going to take you, and it's going to be terrible. It's going to be tragic. It's going to be tough. It's going to be confusing. It's going to be pressure-filled. It's going to be hills. It's going to be drops. It's going to be twists. It's going to be turns. And I'm wondering who's riding with you. When you feel challenged in your faith, who's riding with you? Where do we find these courageous companions? Where do I find my Meshach and my Abednego? A couple of places I would start looking. One would be in your own home. If you're married to somebody that also loves Jesus, that should be your first spot to look. In some scenarios, that's not the case. We have, we have people that aren't married. We've got people that don't have a spouse that loves Jesus, and there's going to be other places that we're going to look. But if the person that you live with and are married to loves Jesus, that's your number one teammate. That's your number one companion. That's the one you're arm in arm with saying, let's go. Let's follow Jesus together. Parents of kids, grandparents of grandkids, uncles and aunts of nieces and nephews, look right there. They need you to be a companion of them. This world wants to push them and conform them and, and pressure them in a way, and they need us to believe in them to validate them, to encourage them, to love them, to support them, to stand arm in arm with them. You got little ones in your life? Be their, be their courageous companion in this season of their life. Maybe that's not your scenario. Maybe there's no kids at home in this season. Maybe there's not a spouse right there or a roommate or somebody like that. Then I would say, guess what? You have your church family. Friends and, and church family are a great place to look for courageous companions. This, this environment is not just where we gather, drink coffee, sing a few songs, and listen to a talk. 
This is where we springboard into lifelong relationships. This is where we establish companionship with people that will stand with us, that will ride with us, that will jump when we jump, that will pray with us and support us. And it's so much more than just hanging out. That can be a way that we start to form these relationships, isn't it? Where we barbecue together and watch a game together and hang out together. That could be where it starts for sure. But when you're hanging out with people from from your church, I hope that it's more than that. I hope that it's, man, we share life together. We pray with each other. We get honest with each other. They know what's going on in my life. It's what I call sweatpants friends, man. They see me in my sweatpants and they don't judge me. We need some sweatpants friends. But you start looking around your church and saying, it's got to start somewhere. Well, let's start hanging out. You want to grab coffee? Want to watch a game? Want to barbecue? Want to go do something? You want to join a life group? You want to serve together? You might be serving together on an event or at a hub spot or in a classroom in the kids' rooms or up in the tech booth or something like that. Hey, you want to hang out? You want to do something together? But Sunday morning is to be a springboard for these companions to begin to develop so that when the fires hit, when the pressure builds, you have people standing with you. That we look to support each other, not just in the affinity and interest-based ways, but also emotionally, spiritually, and physically. We've got people right there with us. But lastly, I just want to end with this idea of who else is with us. You've got people that God has put in your life, and they are super valuable. Nobody's meant to do life alone. We need people in our life. But I think it is important when we look at this story to see that there's somebody else in the furnace. God is with you. Who else is with you in your, in your fiery furnace when the pressure builds? God is with you. Don't forget about that part of the story, right? We love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being together, and we all need buddies and friends and BFFs and all this, right? But as we talk about these courageous companions, don't forget that God is in the fire. Verse 25, Nebuchadnezzar shouts, Look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed, and the fourth looks like a god. Now, scholars of debate, is this an angel? Is this Jesus? You can argue about it. I think it's a futile discussion because regardless, what it's meant to show us is that truly what we should take away from that is not, was this Jesus? Was this an angel? What we should take away from it is God is faithful when we are faithful. The presence of God is with his people in moments of adversity. God is faithful in this moment because they stood up to be faithful for him. One scholar pointed out that God doesn't save them from the furnace, but he kept them safe in the furnace. That would be a whole nother sermon. And I, I love this story because there's a multitude of ways we could talk about this and preach this. And I'm sure we'll talk this story again in the future. But, but the focus here is that you are not alone in the fiery adversity that you are facing. God's put people in your life but God himself is with you. All throughout scripture, we see this theme. God is with his people. Isaiah 7, 14, when the prophet tells us that Jesus is going to come through the birth of this virgin girl, right? In Isaiah 7, 14, it says she will give birth to a son. We're gonna talk about this in a couple months, right? Christmas. She will give birth to a son and we will call him Emmanuel means God is with us. One of God's nicknames 
is that God is with us. He is with us. Look at the classic passage that gets quoted numerous times, and then the uh, artist Coolio took it and really took it to the next level. But Psalm 23, verse 4, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you're like, where did Coolio come in? You didn't think Coolio was going to get mentioned this morning. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, or as the NLT says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. All throughout Scripture, this theme is there. God is with his people. God is right beside them. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid, for you are close beside me. Jesus gave a similar promise to his disciples before he ascended to heaven. What did he say in Matthew 28, 20? And you can be sure of this. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus doesn't bail on his people when it gets tough. The God that we worship is right there with you. And as you leave today, I don't know what's coming. My prayer is that you have Shadrachs, Meshachs, and Abednegoes with you. But you also need to know that God is with you in the midst of that. He hasn't given up on you. And just because it's tough doesn't mean God is lifted from you. God is with you. And maybe right now you're going through a good season. But you're meant to be somebody that stands with somebody else that's going through a tough season. To bring encouragement, to bring hope, to bring life, to bring support. That we would be people, as we talk about this courage, well, I want us to be people who find courage to do the next right thing because we know that we're not alone. That's the big idea today. So we're going to go into a time of worship to just stop and pause and think about these things. I'm going to welcome the worship team up. And I want you to just think about God being with you and whatever you're going through. And maybe your cry this morning is, is, a, is a cry to God to say, God, I need people in my life. Maybe it's, a, it's just talking to Jesus and saying, Jesus, thank you that I, I can believe that you are right there with me. Or maybe today you're just thanking God that it's a good time. It's a good season you're in. But whatever it is, know that he is with you and he's put people in your life to walk alongside you. Church, would you just stand with me? We're going to worship Jesus together. We're going to pray. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you want to take your next step in following Jesus, fill out the digital connect card at thehubcitychurch.com connect. We'd love to celebrate what Jesus is doing in your life.